a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in another Veritas 2020 video. I want us to take a few minutes today to think about something that I believe is really, really important, but it can often not be on our radar screen like it should be. We're not aware of what's going on sometimes as we make different decisions. I'm talking about what we might call our sources of authority, sources of authority. And here's what I mean. Every one of us, of course, has to make a lot of decisions in life. And many, many of these decisions are moral. They involve what's right and what's wrong. And as we make these decisions, whether we're conscious of it or not, there's always some source of authority in our lives, something or someone that leads us or encourages us to make the decision we're making. Sometimes it's a combination of sources, and I'm not going to cover all of them today, but I'm going to talk about some of the more common ones. Because the truth is, we're more likely to make better decisions if we'll just learn to think clearly about what really is moving us to make the decision we're making. What is our source of authority? And we need to consciously think about that for any particular decision. So what I want us to do is look at some of the common sources of authority that seem to influence people in making decisions, especially moral decisions. And I think you'll agree with me that these are pretty common. So we just need to be more conscious of it. So, for example, there are people who make decisions based on what comes out of the entertainment industry. It's amazing how movies and TV programs can powerfully affect the way we make decisions. And it's partly because of the powerful way they can work on our emotions and they can make things seem right or make things seem wrong. But the problem with movies or television programs is that you can write the scripts of people engaging in behavior that in real life eventually would lead to disastrous consequences. But whoever's writing the script for the movie can make the consequences turn out to be the way they want it to be. <laughs> Just great. That's not real life. And that can be a major problem. Another source of authority is kind of the same thing is, is a songwriter. A lot of people are influenced to make decisions based on the music they're listening to. We may listen to a song over and over and over again, and it can affect our thinking as well as our emotions. And sometimes that's not too big a deal, but sometimes it can be horrific. It can really lead to bad outcomes and bad consequences. We just have to be tuned in. <laughs> a few years ago, my granddaughters, along with millions of other girls, were enthralled by Elsa's song, Let It Go. You remember that song? Some of you got it going through your mind already from the movie Frozen. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I knew that it was certainly possible for them to listen to that song and sing it and enjoy it and not be affected by the lyrics at all. But I want us to at least stop and think about some of those lyrics. Here they are. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once control me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, I've had people remind me, hey, Steve, that's not really what this movie is all about. I know, I know, I really do know. 
And I know it has some great lessons about being courageous. And I know it has lessons about overcoming fear. I know it has some great lessons about the love between two sisters. I get all that. <laughs> but the fact is, those are the words of the song. And that's the song that millions of girls were belting out with great energy. Most of them are not thinking about it. But all I'm saying is, we just need to make sure we talk with kids and grandkids about stuff like this. I'm not even saying we shouldn't watch the movies. I'm just saying when we watch and when we listen, let's learn to use some discernment. Can we do that? Just ask questions like, what do those words mean? And maybe in the case of this particular movie, do you think we can save ourselves by doing good deeds like Anna does in the movie? What do you think about that? <laughs> and we can talk to them about the difference between what the words in the movie are, what the behavior in the movies, movies might be, as opposed to what God's Word says. I'm just saying we need to be careful what we and our kids may be absorbing from music and from TV and from movies. We have a responsibility, guys, all of us, no matter how young you are, how old we are, we've got to learn to be discerning. We have to recognize that what the lyrics say and teach we have to also understand what the Bible says and teaches about that same subject. And that takes time, and that takes energy, and it takes lots of purposeful conversation. Another common source of authority would be our friends. Very often when we're trying to make a decision, we talk to friends, and friends help us make decisions. There may be particular friends in your life who are especially influential for you. And sometimes these Friends have good advice. I'm not saying you must not ever listen to your friends, but sometimes friends can give very bad advice. So we need to think about where they're coming from. What's their source of authority? Why am I letting them be my source of authority? And we've got to think about that. How does that compare with what the Bible says? Some people make decisions based on what the experts say. <laughs> That's the reason they like to use so-called experts in making commercials for TV. Of course, the problem is sometimes a person's an expert in one area, but he's not much of an expert in another area. <laughs> and many times, so-called experts want to make pronouncements on things that they really don't know much about, but they think they do. <laughs> we need to be careful. The experts are always right. Sometimes they've got a reputation for being an expert, and they're really not much of an expert not when it comes to God. <laughs> in the same way as listening to experts, sometimes we look to books to help us make decisions. Sometimes people will buy a book to read and get information about how to make a decision. That's related to the authority of experts. But sometimes books can be helpful, obviously. Sometimes they're correct. Sometimes they're based on the Bible. But sometimes they can not be helpful at all. Sometimes they can be very subtle and very dangerous. So we need to be careful what we're basing our decisions on. Many people have learned to use their logic. And they've learned to trust their logic. They see themselves as very logical people. And, hey, I, I know logic is good. It's wonderful. It's a gift from God. God wants us to learn to think logically. It's a God-given given thinking tool. But sometimes our logic can be faulty. <laughs> sometimes it can let us down. And many times in life we make what we think is a very logical decision. We thought it through. We think really well. And then we look back later on and realize, whoa, I wasn't thinking as clearly as I thought I was. That wasn't a very good decision. I, I wasn't using as, as good a logic as I thought I was. That wasn't such hot logic. So we need to be careful about trusting our logic. A lot of people are what we call pragmatists. 
You ever heard of pragmatists? Pragmatists are kind of making decisions on the basis of what works as far as they can tell. They've had some personal experience and they go through life learning from one experience to the next experience, what seems to work, what doesn't seem to work. So they try to make decisions based on what worked in the past. So if something worked in the past, they're more likely to do that again. Now, again, there's balance here. There's great value in experience. God designed us to learn from our experiences. Yes, we better be learning from experiences and the experiences of others. Sometimes we learn a lot of God's principles through experience. But even our experiences can deceive us, guys. Be careful. Because something that may have seemed to work in the past may turn out not to be very wise after all. It just seemed to work. There's a humorous illustration of that. This little boy can't understand why he has a problem here. Last time he hid behind a tree, it worked just fine. <laughs> Sometimes something seems to work in the short run, but in the long run, it's disastrous. Be careful about what works. Let me ask you a question here to help you think this one through just a little bit more. I think it may make everything make sense here. Have you ever known anybody that you realized was a chronic liar? They've lied to you more than once, and you know it. So you've learned you really can't trust what they say because they could be lying. You don't know for sure. They just, it might be because they've lied to you before. just can't trust them. I'm sure you're thinking of somebody right now. They're all around us. Now, how did they come to be that way? How did that come to pass? Well, most likely when they were younger, they learned that they could tell a lie, and it sometimes would help them escape a consequence. And maybe they got by. Maybe they got by with doing something wrong, by lying about it. And their little mind says, okay, I've got a way to get through life here. This works for me. If I get myself in trouble, I can just tell a lie and get myself out of trouble. And of course, what they assume is that people that they are lying to think and believe that they're actually telling the truth when they're not. But wait, you know they're often not telling you the truth because you've discovered that they're a chronic liar. They've lied to you before and it got caught, right? That you found out it wasn't true. How does that happen? Well, it happens because lying just doesn't work very well in the long run. It seems to in the short run, but man, in the long run, lying always breaks down. <laughs> Effective lying, sometimes even over the short run, requires a ridiculously high IQ. <laughs> <laughs> higher than any of us have. <laughs> Effective lying requires a really, really good memory so you can keep everything straight and all your lies straight. It requires a lot of hard work. <laughs> and most liars aren't willing to do the hard work, so they slip up. It may work on one particular occasion, but after a while, it's kind of hard to keep up with the lies. So we get caught and we're found out. And people begin to realize they can't trust us. We've lied too much. We think we're getting by. We think, well, I'm telling another lie, but I don't even think about it much. I just tell it and, and they're going to believe me. And the people we're talking to, they may not be willing to tell us that they can't trust us because that's kind of awkward, you know. But in truth, we're not getting by. People figure it out. So experience, pragmatism, what seems to work can mislead us, especially when it comes to long-range consequences. Another source of authority for some people is their emotions. A whole lot of people make decisions just based on their emotions. 
This is the idea that if it just can't be wrong if it feels right. <laughs> a long time ago now, many, many years ago, 1977, Debbie Boone, who was the daughter of a prominent Christian singer, Pat Boone, sang a song that went to the top of the charts. In the late 70s, it was entitled, You Light Up My Life. You may not have ever heard it, but it had a very dangerous line in it. And that line said, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. <laughs> it can't be wrong when it feels so right. And there's so many people that think like that. They, they feel their way through life. And again, the long-range consequences can betray what we thought was a great decision when that decision was based on emotion. wasn't really a great decision after all. You ever heard of James Dobson? He's the founder of Focus on the Family. You may have heard of that organization. He, he wrote lots of great books, great books for family living, wise counsel for families, and, and other Christian help books. He was asked one time to write a book about emotions. So he wrote a book, several hundred pages long, entitled Emotions, Can You Trust Them? Later on, I was listening to him when he was being interviewed. He's talking about that book, and he said, you know, I wrote several hundred pages to say what I could have said in one word. No, <laughs> no, we cannot trust our emotions. Inevitably, they will lead us to make bad decisions. Well, the final source of authority I want to mention here, and you'd be shocked if I left this one out, is the Bible. If you believe, like I do, and I hope you do, that the Bible is God's word, if you have trouble with that, go back and watch the Veritas videos, then the Bible is going to be a perfect source of authority. Should be our source of authority. But listen, guys, stay with me here. We still have to be careful. Because even if we claim the Bible is our source of authority, we still have to use discernment. God wants us to use discernment. Because we can abuse the Scriptures. We can misuse the Scriptures. We can misinterpret them. It's important that we interpret His Word carefully and correctly. Not just use what we sometimes call proof text. You see what I'm saying? You can try to make fine verses in the Bible to make it say what you want it to say. That's dangerous. Now, there really are people who interpret parts of the Bible differently from others. So what we have to learn to do is study the Bible for ourselves very carefully. This takes years. I'm telling you, it's not something you can just do overnight. It takes time to make sure we're not misinterpreting it. You've got to compare scriptures with other scriptures. You've got to do word studies, run cross-references, those kind of things. Sometimes it's really helpful to have other Christians in our lives who've had more years of Bible study than we have, back to the mentor, who can help us think it through, help us understand it. You need a mentor. I also believe this is one reason God says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. There are many situations in life where that's true, but in Proverbs chapter 24, he says, you need more than one counselor. You need to get wisdom from different people. And, and so counselors, even, even good people, even wise people, people who love the Lord, I mean, they may miss it sometimes. So we, we don't want to excuse ourselves from careful Bible study ourselves. We just have to learn to put all this together, to look for God's balance, dig into God's Word, figure out what God's saying, talk to other people about it, and then let God's Word be our source of authority. So you're not surprised to hear me say, I believe the Bible is the best source of authority of all for making decisions. Now, of course, many people aren't sure about that. They wonder, can I really trust the Bible? Is it really God's Word? Well, if you've been keeping up with me in these Veritas 2020 videos, you're aware that God's left us all kinds of evidence. 
evidence for the resurrection of Christ, evidence from archaeology, evidence from fulfilled prophecy, evidence from microbiology, evidence from manuscripts, evidence from early church history. Yes, the Bible's trustworthy. And when God gives us an opportunity to share this evidence that he's given us, he can use it to draw others to himself and help them learn. We can trust the Bible. They can trust the Bible. We can make better decisions based on the Bible. Now, as you think about sharing with others all this evidence that God's given us, I'd like to leave you just a couple of things I think we need to be cautious about. Here's one caution. It doesn't relate to all of us. But some of us are wired in such a way, we're kind of built in such a way that we tend to really enjoy a good argument. Is that you? <laughs> some people just really enjoy arguments. And especially when we think, I've got the facts together here. I know how to support the truth. I've got it together. I know how to win this argument. I just think we need to watch out for arguments. We need to be very careful about arguing. Sometimes, and we need to be tuned into this, arguments start generating more heat than light. You know what I mean? They, they get people irritated and upset and angry and hurt. We're probably not going to bring someone to the kingdom of God if we're just making them feel angry and hurt and upset and like we're attacking them. You know, you can't force somebody in the kingdom of God just with good arguments. Of course, a lot of what we're trying to do here is internalize some of this evidence God's left us so that we can reassure our own hearts and minds. That's really important. Don't forget that for our own clear thinking so that when an enemy tries to hit us with doubts about whether we can trust the Bible or not, these things will help us to think better and not be deceived. But I do believe God wants us to use this to help other people too. All I'm saying is we have to stay tuned in to whether they're really open to the truth or not. You know, some people are just kind of enjoying an argument themselves or they're debating, but they're not really looking for truth. They're just trying to win a point. Actually, there are two kind of skeptics out there that we run into quite often as we talk to people about these things, the things of God, God himself, his word, his truth. There's one kind of skeptic that we might call an open-minded skeptic. Open-minded skeptics don't believe the Bible, not yet, but they're at least willing to look at the evidence. I mean, they really want to know the truth. They're willing to think about it. They're willing to maybe, maybe they would even be willing to pray, God, I'm not sure if you're out there or not. I'm not sure if you're listening to me or not. But if you are, I'm willing for you to help me see that you're real. I'm willing to help for you to help me see that I can trust your word. You know, they might be willing to pray something like that. Sometimes you don't want to suggest that to an open-minded skeptic. An open-minded skeptic might be, for example, willing to read a chapter of John or just a few verses even of John, the Gospel of John each day while maybe praying, God, if this is your word, help me, just, help me to get it. I, I really want to see it. I want to know. I want to know the truth. Open-minded skeptics really are hungry to know what's right. And for people like that, the kind of things we've been talking about in this Veritas 2020 series, these presentations, I'm telling you guys, it can make a huge difference for people like that. I'm, the truth is, there are many brilliant people, Christians, who were former atheists, who've come to know Christ as a result of the Holy Spirit using this kind of evidence that we've been talking about in this series of presentations. I'm talking about men like C.S. Lewis, J. Warner Wallace, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, many others. So it really can be a powerful witnessing tool, presenting the evidence, if we're able to use these kind of things to answer people's questions. But listen, I hope it's obvious to you 
that no matter how we share Christ, I mean, there are all kinds of ways that we share Christ. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit, right? In people's lives and hearts before they're ever going to come to Christ. He has to do the work inside. We can't do that. All we can do is share. But sometimes the Holy Spirit uses these evidences we've been talking about. Sometimes he uses other things. He may use the way we love each other. He does that. Sometimes they, they see Jesus in the way we love other people. Sometimes he uses a gospel tract. Sometimes he uses a Christmas drama given at a church. I mean, he can use anything he wants to use. But the evidence that he's left us that we've been talking about, especially in our day, has turned out to be a powerful tool in his hands. He's used these kinds of evidences to bring many men and women into the kingdom and then use these people in very powerful ways to bring glory to God. He, he keeps on doing that. On the other hand, it really is important to keep in mind that there are other people that are what we might call closed-minded skeptics. Not all skeptics are open-minded to the truth. You know that. And they're just not going to be convinced. Not right now, anyway. I mean, maybe later on when the Spirit softens their hearts. But right now, no matter what the evidence is, they've made up their mind. And no amount of evidence is going to change their mind. They'll either try to figure a way to explain it away, or they'll just ignore it. We illustrate this with this little story. There was a man once who got convinced that he was dead. And so he began to tell his family, I just need you to know I'm dead. Told his friends, I want you to know I'm dead. <laughs> and at first they kind of laughed. Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> Thought it was kind of funny. And then they started realizing, yeah, this guy's serious. He really thinks he's dead. He's got a problem. He must have a mental problem. So his family members thought, we got to convince him he's not dead. So they tried everything they could think of. They argued with him. They tried to persuade him. He said, you can't be dead. You, if you're dead, you wouldn't be talking with us. Like, oh, no. He said, you're wrong. I'm dead. I'm, 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 I've already died. Take my word for it. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm dead. So they finally decided, okay, he, he's obviously gone crazy. We got to get him some professional help. So they took him to a psychiatrist. <laughs> and the psychiatrist tried a whole bunch of stuff, too just like the family had to convince him he wasn't dead. But finally, the psychiatrist hit on an idea. He thought, you know what? I think maybe this will convince him. I'm going to show him ironclad proof that dead people don't bleed. So he spent some time helping the man understand how the circulatory system worked and how that when you're dead, of course, your heart quits beating and therefore the blood pressure goes down to zero. And therefore, if you cut the arm of a dead man, for example, the blood will, will not flow. And so he helped the man understand this. He helped him look at it in some anatomy textbooks and other medical textbooks. And he finally took him to a morgue and he gave him the final evidence. He took the arm of a dead body and he cut that arm. And of course, the body didn't bleed. And the man finally said, OK, 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 you've convinced me. Dead men don't bleed. I get it. And as soon as he said that, as soon as the psychiatrist heard those words coming out of his mouth, he took a needle and jabbed the man's arm <laughs> and the blood flowed. <laughs> and the man looked down at his arm and he said, good grief. Dead men do bleed after all. <laughs> and that's a great little story to illustrate that some people are just not going to be persuaded no matter what the evidence is, you know. So we need to have that in the back of our minds. And some people, we just need to back off a little bit and just pray. Ask God to break down the barriers, open their hearts, give them experiences, put people in their lives that will bring them to him. 
Now, before we stop this, I want us to think for just a minute about why most people say they trust the Bible. If you ask most Christians across the country, for example, do you believe the Bible is God's Word? They'll say yes, of course. You say, well, how do you know you can trust the Bible? You'd probably get an answer that with something like this. I mean, they may say it in different words, but they say something along the lines, well, the Bible has done what it promised it would do in my life. It accomplished in my life what God said it would accomplish. God did what he promised he would do in the Bible. The Bible proved to be true in my own life. It's part of what we call sharing a testimony. We're talking about what God does in our own lives. It's very powerful. It's very wonderful. And God uses personal testimonies a lot. Let me just give you some examples of what people can share in personal testimonies. For example, some people might say, the Bible showed me how to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And now I have that, this incredible per personal relationship with God, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Or somebody might say, the Bible showed me how I can have the peace of God. And even when times are tough, I have his peace that he's promised in the Bible. Peace of God that passes understanding. Or somebody else might say, you know, the Bible has shown me how to find the joy of the Lord in life. At times in life when otherwise I think I would have been totally depressed and discouraged, I have joy because of what God's done in my life. Or the Bible's given me a purpose for living. The Bible's given meaning to my life. Now I know why I'm here. I know why I'm alive. I know why I'm drawing breath. I know there's a purpose. Somebody else might say, the Bible's given me wisdom to make good decisions in life. And, and I can look back over my life and realize that through the wisdom that I found in Scripture, I've learned to make good decisions. I know it's true. Somebody else might say, the Bible's given me security about the future. I used to be terrified of the future, but I'm not anymore. I'm confident in the future because the promises of Jesus in his word, I know what's going to happen. I know how this is all going to turn out. Somebody else might say, you know, the Bible's given me freedom from guilt. I used to be overwhelmed, bloated down with guilt all the time. I knew I'd sinned. I didn't know what to do about it. And the Bible showed me how I could find forgiveness of sin and freedom from guilt through Jesus Christ. And now I've got that freedom that only he can give me. I know the Bible's true. Somebody else might say, the Bible's given me the power to do what I know I ought to do. There was a time in my life when I knew how I ought to live and I knew what I ought to do, but I just seemed so weak and I didn't have the power to do it. But God's given me the power through his word, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in me to do what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe somebody will say, the Bible's given me the ability to forgive other people. There was a time when I carried bitterness and resentment and, and, and anger and, and, and now I know how to forgive people. And I'm able to forgive them just like Jesus has forgiven me. Somebody else might say, the Bible's given me strong and healthy personal relationships. Before, all my relationships were shallow based on selfishness. They were unhealthy. And now I know how to love people the way Jesus loves people. Now I know how to have strong and healthy personal relationships. It's because of Jesus and what he reveals in his word. See what I'm saying here? We can go on and on and on with these kinds of things. And listen, guys, I'm telling you, it's powerful. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Many people have come into the kingdom of God based on these kind of testimonies. And a lot of people would say, this is why I trust the Bible. I'll add one more thing to the list because some people might think I've left it out, but I don't think I've left this out. I think it permeates everything I've said up until now. But there's some people who will say, you know what? The Holy Spirit gives witness to my spirit that these things are true. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the one who brings all these things I've been talking about to pass in our lives. 
So we might talk about the inner witness of the Spirit, and, and I believe in that. That's true. The Holy Spirit has convicted me that the Bible really is true. So again, this is very powerful, and God uses testimonies like these. But there's one problem with this approach for some people. Now stay with me. Sometimes when we're trying to help other people know why we're trusting the Bible by sharing our personal testimonies, there's some people out there who will listen and decide, you know what? That's just subjective talk on your part. I mean, okay, these things represent your personal experience. Fine. If it works for you, fine, go ahead. It's just not for me. It's very personal. And for someone who's never had these experiences, it might not be very convincing at all that we have had them. See what I'm getting at here? So we could summarize it like this. It's true that personal blessings are a powerful reason for trusting the Bible. But if we stop there, there's just one problem, and that's this. Other religions, other worldviews outside of Christianity, they could make claims very similar to this. They could claim they've got peace. They could claim they've got joy. They could claim they've got good relationships. They could claim they've got meaning in life. They could claim they're confident about the future. You see what I'm saying? Totally different worldview. And that's why it's so important that we examine and be able to present the evidence to other people so we can know and share what the veritas is, what the truth is, supported by the evidence that God seemed fit to leave for us to discover and share with others. You see what I'm saying? And in this dark day when skepticism and secularism are so rampant, it's more important than ever that we help people see the evidence and see the truth. What matters really is veritas, the truth. What really happened? What really is true? God says he is the God of truth. And his word is the word of truth. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And our Lord Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And so my prayer for all of us is that in our hearts, we will set apart the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives and that we will always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that's in us. Stay in the battle, guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for being a God of truth. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of truth. Thank you that Jesus is the truth. And Lord, you've changed our lives, no question about it. You've dramatically changed our lives now and forever. And we give you praise and glory for that. But Lord, we also know that many people will just see that as subjective thinking on our part. So help us to be able to share with them the, all this incredible evidence you've left for us so that they can see the truth themselves and be set free by the truth. Lord, we know that we run into a lot of people who are at different places. We pray that you'd bring people into our lives who are open-minded skeptics, who want to know the truth, who are eager to find the truth so that we can share it with them. But Lord, we know some people are just dead set against it. And we pray that you'd work in their hearts. Some of us right now can think of people in our own minds, in our own lives, maybe our own families, who seem to be so hardened and they seem to be so set against the truth. Lord, we know that ultimately you have to do that work in their hearts. We cannot argue them into your kingdom. And we accept that. We don't want to play like we're the Holy Spirit, Lord. We know that only you can do these things. So please work in the hearts of our friends and loved ones and soften those hearts and bring them to you. 
And if there's something we can say or do, some of the evidence that we can present in a gracious and loving and patient, Christ-like way, we certainly want to be able to do that. So please help us to be useful to you, to bring you a lot of glory, to help others come into the kingdom, and to stay in the battle until you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.